0: The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Awesome. Well, we are in the uh, second week of a series called "All Things New." And uh, in this series, we're, we're looking at, at, at this idea that the arrival of Jesus makes all things new. And so last week, we just kind of kicked off the series. But this week, the first thing we're going to look at is, is how the arrival of Jesus brings new joy into our lives. What does it mean that the arrival of Jesus brings new joy? And, and, and joy is a really hard word to define. Uh, I don't know if you have a good definition for it. Uh, I really don't. Uh, I, feel, I feel like joy is really one of those things where like, you know it when you see it. All right, that's just kind of how joy works, a little hard to, to put words, you just know it when you see it. Um, and so in just a moment here, not yet, uh, I'm going to show you all a picture of, of a time when I experienced joy. Uh, it, was, it was a few years ago, and, and I just want to set up the context, it was Melissa and I's first year of marriage, and uh, we were living just outside of, uh, of St. Paul, Minnesota, and uh, if you've ever been to our church even once, uh, you know that of course uh, we love the Green Bay Packers. And, and so... Um, Minnesota's a rough place to live, if, if you love God's football team, and so, um, and so, so but that year, 2011, uh, the Green Bay Packers found their way into the Super Bowl, I'm sure you all remember, and, uh, and so they, they, they found their way there, and they won, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, 35, uh, what's the final? 31 to 25, I remember that. 31 to 25, uh, at a stadium just a few hours north of here. And, uh, and so they did that, and there was great celebration, a cry of great joy burst forth from the basement of a suburban home in Minnesota. And there was high fives, and there was jumping, and there was dancing, and then this happened, if we could. There's a a sweet kiss. Now I love this picture. Uh, if you can't tell, it's my wife. Mike, is it, it, because to me, it's just it's a it's, it's, it's moment of pure joy. But my favorite, like we would frame this and have this in our house. Except like our friend's face is just like right there. Come on, it's so perfect. But yeah, your face is there. Um, I don't even remember her name. Um, but the is forever. But uh, but this is joy, man. This is joy. Like it's, this, it's contagious. It naturally flows from one person to another. And see, it's that kind of joy that we actually see take place in our text today. And in the context, Mary has found out that she's uh, pregnant with the Savior of the world, that she's pregnant with Jesus, the Messiah. And Luke wants us to see that it's with great joy that she goes and she tells her relatives that she is going to have a baby and this baby is going to be the savior of the world. If y'all would look with me at the first couple verses in our text, we'll have them up here on the screen. It says this, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And so Luke tells us, the Gospel writer Luke, who wrote this text, says that that Mary finds out she's pregnant. She gets so excited that she travels a hundred miles. That's about how far it was from Nazareth to this tiny little town in Judah. Travels a hundred miles while pregnant. And he says she does it with haste. And she's excited about it. She goes to tell her relatives, Elizabeth and Zachariah. Now let's consider our context here for a minute, right? Mary is a teenager probably not very well off, pregnant, and not married. Now, in any context, that's kind of rough. It's not an easy situation. But especially in hers, it was that much more difficult. Especially in her culture, it was that much harder. Her context is very, very hard. And yet we see that with joy, she goes to share the news that she's pregnant with her relatives. What we see is that her relatives here are actually just as excited as she is uh, about this news. And so the question I want us to ask today, though, is like, where does that sort of joy come from? Like, where's, like, like, like How can Mary be so joy-filled despite her tremendously difficult circumstances? How can she do that? And see, this is a, an important question for us to ask and answer. Because Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, there's, there's a command from God says be joyful always that's command. Like, now i don't know about you like my, my natural disposition if i'm just honest is not one of joy like i don't just i i'm not I'm, I'm not optimistic guy but no one would ever describe me as bubbly right like that's just not those words aren't coming out and so so how do we do that how do we do that see because sometimes life just grinds joy out of you and, and I don't mean just like, you know, really bad, tragic things happen, but just like the day in, day out, stresses of life, worries of life, just kind of grind joy out of you. I uh, came across an article this week, and i uh, sure was not sure whether i was sure, because the article was, was on the uh, satirical magazine, The Onion, uh, do we have any fans of The Onion? Okay, so it's, it's satire, I love it so much, uh, and, and the title of the article was, Grown Adult Actually Expects to be Happy. And, <laughs> And like all things from The Onion, this was exceptionally good, so I just want to share a little bit of it with you. It says this, uh, Frankly, science cannot explain this man, confirmed noted psychologist Dr. Eli Weiserbaum, adding that most people have their first realization that enduring happiness is an utter fallacy, sometime in their late teens or early 20s, when their dreams for the future endure the first fissure in the process of eventual disintegration. Anyone with the smallest degree of perceptiveness knows that happiness is at best a temporary emotional phenomenon. Seeing as Peterson is a college-educated adult and not a five-year-old on Christmas morning, <laughs> he should really know better than to think otherwise. We are all just barely hanging on for our entire lives. I know you love it. I love it. And it's so funny. But, but Now, of course, it's funny. It's satire. But the, the trick with satire is that it has to have a bit of truth to it. Right? That's why there's a bite to it. Like... You've had to have felt this same tone before in your life. I know I have. And so how do we experience lasting joy? How do we experience that, like, deep, deep, deep in our being? Well, in our text, I think we we see a way out. You experience lasting joy by experiencing a great reversal with great humility and simple faith. Faith. You get lasting joy by experiencing the great reversal with great humility and simple faith. All right? So, great reversal. Here we go. Uh, If you were to read through the Gospel of Luke, and just read it as a piece of literature, which is where our text is from today, uh, one of the themes that you would see emerge in the text is a theme of reversal. Reversal. That again and again throughout the Gospel of Luke, the low are brought high, the poor are seen as rich, the outcasts are brought in, that the way things normally work are flipped upside down. Again and again, there's a great reversal. And we see this actually take place in our text. That in just one verse, Luke gives us a picture of a great reversal that's going to happen throughout the rest of the Gospel. Look with me at verse 41. It says this, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this text is just pregnant with meaning. Pun intended. Uh, seriously, the, the first person that, that Mary tells about the coming Messiah, the first person she tells is not who you think it would be. See, uh, the verse before tells us that, that Mary went to Zechariah's home. So Zechariah was a man which meant he inherently had a higher status in their culture than Elizabeth did. But on top of that, he was a priest, so he's a leader in their community of faith that she's about to tell the Savior of the world, who's from that community of faith, is coming. So everyone would expect, well, the first person that's going to find out about the Messiah is going to be Zechariah. He's the big dog. But you can almost see the picture, right? Zechariah's standing here, and Mary goes, Elizabeth, guess what? Right? And tells her, "I'm, I'm, I'm... pregnant with the savior of the world. But what's, what's even more amazing is that Elizabeth isn't the first one to respond with joy. No, in fact, a member of society who's the most neglected, most forgotten about oftentimes, is an unborn baby. A John the Baptist, the baby inside of Elizabeth, leaps at the presence of Jesus. It's amazing. Now, of course, babies move in wombs all the time, all right? There's no miracle there. But what Luke is telling us, the reason he's telling us this is because he's actually saying, this is actually fulfillment of something that's happened earlier in the Gospel of Luke. See, earlier in the Gospel of Luke, the angel Gabriel, great name, shows up to, to the priest Zechariah Zachariah and says, hey, uh, you and your wife are going to have a kid. It's going to be John the Baptist. And he says this about John the Baptist. He says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so just a few verses earlier, an angel tells Zechariah that John the Baptist is going to be filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so in this text, Luke is showing us, hey, it's being fulfilled right now. It's happening right now. He wants us to see that this unborn baby is moved by the Holy Spirit and impacted by the presence of Jesus. And then we see the text taken to another level. It says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's scripture's way of telling us that this woman, that Elizabeth, is about to speak the very truth of God into this situation. Now, what does that tell us? Let's, let's, let's recap this great reversal, because that's what this is. This verse is a great reversal. Let's recap the story so far. There is a poor, teenage, pregnant girl who travels from, uh, to a small town on the backside of nowhere to visit her elderly relatives and tells them that she's pregnant with the Savior of the world. And the first person she tells is the wife of a priest on the backside of nowhere. And the first person to respond with joy is an unborn baby. This is a great reversal. And what does that tell us? It tells us this. The work of God's Spirit is not limited by age gender, or socioeconomic status. Amen. The work of God's spirit is not limited by age, gender, or socioeconomic status. And you say, all right, well, what does that have to do with living into joy? I thought you said that's what this is about. What does that have to do with living into joy? Think about this with me. Think about the implication of this. Okay, an unborn baby leaped at the presence of the Savior. What does that mean about us living for joy? What it means, first of all, is that I think it means your kids can teach you about God. And that there's actual joy in that. So one of my favorite things on Sunday morning is uh, a main man, Roland, a little guy who sits up here, my front row partner, the only one. Thanks again. Thanks, Um, Dan. And he says the creed louder than all of you. You guys don't know us because he's in the front row. But he says it louder than everyone else. And it just, I love it because it reminds me of the boldness we're called to have in our faith. Right? And don't you love when our kids run off to Kids Quest? And they run to hear about Jesus. Man, it just makes me think of all the things that I run after instead of running after Jesus the way our kids do. I think about it when I'm at home and, and uh, I, I try to read uh, the children's Bible and I try to read it to Titus. And all it wants to do is just flip through the pages and find pictures of Jesus. Like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He wants to do it. It's a good way to read the Bible. Or when we, we baptize an infant here and we're reminded of the total dependency that we have on God. It's absolutely nothing we do, but it's total dependency on Him and His grace. See, our kids teach us and there's, there's joy in that. We can live in the joy when we recognize that God's Spirit's works regardless of gender, age, socioeconomic status. And see, there's another implication of that, too. See, you you, you caught that, that a mom is filled with the Spirit and speaks God's truth? Guess what? Moms today can still speak God's truth. And grandmas, too. And grandpas and dads and uncles and aunts and cousins and husbands and wives and friends and co-workers... See, this tells us that that wherever God has placed you right now, that God can use you to speak his truth right now. And see, what that means is that purpose and joy can be found every single day. Every day. See, the great reversal is that God does his work in the world, not through the strong and the powerful, but God does his work in the world through everyday ordinary people like you and me. The great reversal is that God uses messed up, sinful, broken people like you and me to proclaim the good news of our Savior Jesus to the hurting world. And there's joy in that, isn't there? There's joy in that. But what we see in our text is that if we're actually going to receive that joy, you've got to do it with humility. You've got to receive it humbly. Look with me at verses 42 and 43. Elizabeth is talking. She says this. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so Elizabeth is speaking, and she does two things that demonstrate great humility. First of all, verse 42, she gets out of the way, right? Right? says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. It's not about me. It's about you. Blessed are you. She gets out of the way. And then verse 43, she gets low. That's literally what it means to, to be humble, is to get low. That's the translation. She gets low. She says, who am I that the mother of my Lord would actually visit me? She recognizes it's not about her. She's humble. She gets out of the way. She gets low. And there's joy in humility. There's joy in humility. And see, the opposite of that is true. There isn't joy in pride. And see, pride can come at us in two ways. First of all, it's kind of the traditional way of pride where you're just arrogant and think you got all figured out and you know everything. And I don't know if anyone else has friends like this where they are just certain. They know all of the answers to the world. And I'm just like, what is that like? Yeah, how do you know these things? Uh, but but that's, that's pride, right? Pride, but pride also manifests itself in a second way. That's a little bit more subtle. We don't notice it. But pride often manifests itself as a pity party. You see, what Elizabeth could have done here is she could have said, Oh, well, why didn't God choose me? Why didn't he use me to do this thing? are I special? What about me, me, me? That's just a different way of pride working in her life. The focus is on her. See, there's great joy in humility, because humility only comes to those who have the strength to get outside themselves and look to the good of another person. So, um, Christmas is coming, and my in-laws asked me to put together a Christmas list. Um, which is very stressful for me. Uh, I'm terrible at this because uh, I, I grew up in a family that is awful at giving gifts. I, I love them to death, but they're terrible. Like, So my grandparents and my parents growing up as a kid, they never wanted me to put together a Christmas list because they liked to guess what we wanted because that was more fun. Uh, how did you know I wanted eight pairs of socks again, right? Like that's, that's how it was. And so when my in-laws say, hey, get, put together a list for us. We'd love to get you some gifts. I get very nervous about it, I just have never done it before, I've never thought about it before, and so what I do is I just go on Amazon and I look at all the books that I have in my cart and I just put links to all of them and then I send them an email and say, this is what I want. And, uh, and so, come home with the library, and, and so one of the books I requested this year was Humilitas. Humilitas, which is Latin for humility, and it's this, it's written by a historian who's looking at the ancient virtue of humility and how we can use it in our lives today, in our leadership, in our relationships, whatever else. And so, of course, it looked that exciting. I couldn't wait till Christmas morning. So I, uh, I took a look inside this week. And, uh, and I got to tell you, he, he lines up three characteristics about humility. And I assure you in later sermons we'll get to the other two. But I love the first one. He says, for someone to truly be humble, the first characteristic they have to have is dignity. So you can't be humble if you don't have dignity, if you don't have a good sense of self worth. I say that makes sense, right? Like, I can't willingly get myself out of the way for the sake of another if I'm overly concerned about me and my feelings and my comfort and getting what I want. If my sense of self worth is contingent on my circumstances, I can't be humble. If I let circumstances define me, who I am, what I'm about, then I can't be humble and I can't experience joy. Does that make sense? Traveling me we good? Okay. And so how do we do that? How do do we change it? How How do we gain humility and experience joy in our lives? Third point, simple faith. Just through simple faith. Look with me at the last few verses in our text. Elizabeth is still talking, and she says this to Mary, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. And so this is important to note because this is once again Luke pointing us back to something earlier. When, when Zechariah was, was in the temple, and the angel Gabriel showed up to him and said, "Hey, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have kids." And Zachariah and Elizabeth are, are very old. And so Zechariah's response to Gabriel and this is a, a very literal translation from the Greek, was, bro like, do you realize how old we are? Like do you get how this works? It's not going to happen. We're, we're not going to have a kid." And then Gabriel responds, and I love his response is gold. Also, literal translation says, Son, like, do you know who I am? So, like, I stand before the throne of God all day, every day. If I say something's going to happen, it's going to happen. You're going to be quiet for a while. That's what happens. So, what Luke's doing here is he's intentionally drawing us to, a, to see a contrast between Zachariah's pride and unbelief. And Mary's humility and belief. And see, it's because of this belief that Elizabeth says Mary is blessed. You can translate the word blessed, there's all sorts of different ways to to understand that word, but one of the ways to understand it is joyful. Is this idea of of exploding with happiness, bursting with happiness. Why is she so happy? Because in humility she simply believed what God said he was going to do. She just simply took God at his word and trusted in his promises. So she's filled with joy. Mary is joyful regardless of her circumstances because she believes in the promises of God. Can you say the same thing? Can you say the same thing? Are the promises of God that present in your life that you can face all things with joy? So last year, Time Magazine ran an article uh, about a study recently done by the American Psychological Association called Stress in America. And uh, and in this study, uh, the demographic that is, you know, they found in this massive research study on stress in America, the demographic that is most stressed in this country is millennials. Millennials. My generation. So, those age 18 to 35, I keep making it bigger. So, age 18 to 35, I say that's the most stressed uh, demographic in our country. So, that's me, that is a lot of our congregation. And so then the researchers asked why, like, like why are, are these 18 to 35-year-olds so stressed out? They said, is it the job market? Is it like transitions? Is it, you know, whatever else? And so they, they took away uh, all the, all the, the, the control situations. So, all right, here's someone who has a job and money. Is he still stressed? Yep. Here's someone who doesn't have a job, money. is he still stressed? Yes. Here's someone who has kids who doesn't, are they still stressed? Yes. And across the board, there's, there's really no variable. No matter where they were at in their circumstances, they were still really stressed. They said, so what changes? How does a millennial, an 18 to 35-year-old, go from from being stressed to being less stressed in their journey in life? Well, they learned something called the U-curve. That sometime in your late 20s, your happiness index begins to drop. And so millennials become less stressed as a general unhappiness about life begins to sink in and really peaks at your mid-40s. And then you get back up to your normal, your 20-year-old your levels of happiness when you're in your 60s again. So that's comforting. <laughs> right? Don't worry, your stress levels will go down as a wave of crushing sadness enters into your life. Right? And maybe in your 60s the sun will shine again. Right? And so the researcher says, like, why does that happen? Why is that the case? And so once again, they, they looked at all the variables, they looked at all the, the different contexts, and they said, so, so maybe people with more money are happy. No, maybe people with less money are happy. No, maybe people with kids are happy. No, maybe with less kids are happy. No, all across the board, it just came down to one very simple fact. This massive study came down to one simple fact, and that's this, that American adults, regardless of their circumstances, are experiencing a general discontent with the world. That's it. A lot of research to learn that. And so if you're waiting, i tell you all this, if you're waiting for your circumstances to change in order to be joyful, scientifically that's not going to happen. That's what we're seeing here. And so we look at Mary and Elizabeth and we say, well, what's their trick? How did they pull this off? There's something different going on with them. It's not their circumstances that are dictating their joy. It's something else. And what is it? It's humbly believing in the promises of God. It's so simple, but that's it. It's humbly believing the promises of God. That there are things that are hard in this world. That there are circumstances outside of your control. That there's stuff that you just can't fix. But in the midst of that, it's simply trusting in God to be faithful. Trusting in him to be who he said he was. Trusting in him to fulfill the promises that he said he would. That's where we find joy. That's where we find joy. You say, Well, how do you know that, Gabe? How do you know that game? Jesus. Jesus, see, Jesus, the baby in Mary's tummy grew up to be a man, lived the perfect life, and he went to face the cross where he would take on the sins of the world, where he'd be betrayed by his friends, where he'd be spit upon, where he'd be abandoned by his father, where he'd experience excruciating physical pain, where he'd endure every kind of emotional, physical abuse you could possibly imagine. And Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. Jesus goes to face the worst experience in human history for the joy set before him. Why was Jesus joyful at facing the cross? Of course, he was grabbing the reality of it. Read the Gospels. He's sweating blood. Okay? He's there. He's present. Why is he joyful in the midst of it? Because he knows what he's heading into is going to open wide the gates of heaven for you. Amen. Because he knows what he's heading into is going to put you in a right relationship with God now and forever. He knows what he's heading into is going to bring you into a family of faith. That's why he goes to the cross with joy. For you. And see, when the promises of God are that real to you, do you get that? And you can face anything in this world with joy. When you trust in that truth and that reality, it's humbling in the best way possible. We see the great reversal. We enter this world with joy. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for today. Thank you for my friends gathered here. God, I pray you teach us to be joyful always. Uh, Lord, you know that's hard for me. I know it's hard for some of my friends, but but God, teach us to be humble. Teach us to get out of the way, to get outside of ourselves and just believe in you, trust in your promises. Let that be enough. Let that be enough for us today. Thank you for your son Jesus, whose birth we celebrate this evening. It's in his name we pray. Amen.